Welcome to the latest episode of our podcast series for financial advisors. Today's episode is an industry update on Goldman Sachs. What could a new RIA custodian mean for advisors and the industry? With special guest, Lewis Diamond. I'm Mindy Diamond, and this is Mindy Diamond on Independence. This podcast is available on our website, diamond-consultants.com, and on advisorhub.com, as well as Apple Podcasts and other major podcast platforms. If you're not already a subscriber and want to be notified of new show releases, please subscribe right on your favorite podcast platform or on the episode page on our website. And if you find the content in this series to be useful and know others who could benefit from it, feel free to share it widely. Many financial advisors who manage money for ultra-high net worth clients inquire about Goldman Sachs and whether they are in the game of competitive recruiting. The answer is a hard no. Goldman's model has long been about recruiting second-career folks that they can home grow into top private wealth advisors. That model has actually worked pretty well for them too, as most of their approximately 400 tenured advisors manage at least a billion in assets and generate many millions in annual revenue. And Goldman has been loath to pay recruiting packages that compete with the likes of other major bank or wealth management firms. But alas, financial advisors may get their shot at associating with the firm as it has been reported that Goldman Sachs is building an all-star sales team indicating they're all in on the RIA custody business. For example, last month, the firm closed its deal to acquire Folio Financial, a relatively small custodian with approximately $11 billion in assets under custody for about 450 RIAs and announced its interest in serving more RIAs. Certainly, it's early in the game, and there are a million as yet unanswered questions about what this really means and what it might look like, including who they will be looking to recruit, who the target clients will be, and when they will be ready for prime time. But it definitely means that the RIA space is being validated once again, that competition is good for advisors and clients and the industry as a whole, and that there may just be a way to leverage this vaunted brand with real cachet and still be independent. It's worth noting that perhaps the number one thing that a prospective breakaway advisor worries about is how their high net worth clients will feel about them giving up names like Morgan or Merrill and the like. Sure, Schwab, Fidelity, and BNY Mellon Pershing have significant brand recognition, but I'm not sure there's any brand more synonymous with the ultra-affluent than Goldman Sachs. While no launch dates have been released, and there's still plenty of questions, there is some perspective on, on it that we can share at this time. So I've invited once again my son and partner, Lewis, to join me for this conversation. Lewis, thanks for joining us. Appreciate you having me on here. Happy to talk today. Great. All right, let's jump in. So Goldman Sachs getting into the RIA custody game, how big a deal do you think that is? 
It's seemingly a pretty massive deal. While we don't really know terribly much about what this is going to look like, what the pricing is, what the capabilities are, and there's definitely more questions than answers at this point, just the idea of a name and a institution with the caliber and cachet of Goldman coming into the space is a major deal. They definitely have the potential to be a pretty incredible disruptor to the typical kind of steady eddy custody world, especially with TD and Schwab merging together. There seemingly was an opening for a maybe a fourth major player to come in, and Goldman can really be the one to turn this RA custody space upside down. And is there any other proof that they're getting into it other than having bought this small RIA custodian? Like, how likely do you think this is? Yeah, it seems like it's more conjecture than anything right now. They bought Folio, which was a, with a $11 billion or so in assets. It's not an insignificant amount. But for Goldman Sachs, that is probably more of a rounding error. So that was the first indication of their intent to try to move into the space. But it wasn't a major transformational acquisition like we saw with Morgan Stanley buying E-Trade or Schwab buying TD Ameritrade. So really, the only other, I guess, potential facts we have or breadcrumbs was an RAA Biz article from a couple weeks ago citing that two top-tier business development officers, one from Pershing named Bill Dalton and another from Schwab um, named Richard Lofgren, have reportedly joined Goldman or will be joining Goldman at some point in the future. Interesting. And those are some pretty decent proof points. So again, conjecture, but what do you think the mechanics would look like? Would Goldman build this from scratch or will they be relying on third-party tech and infrastructure? So it seems like what they'll do is leverage the building blocks of Folio, which was already a custodian, um, use that as kind of the foundation. What was pretty clear, though, was Folio definitely didn't have the technology or the connectivity with other third-party technology vendors, um, or really even the platform to really compete head-on with the major custodial players. So what I would guess is they use Folio to begin the kind of build process, and then they'll deploy all of their brilliant engineers and probably millions and millions of dollars to take it to the next level, to integrate it with other parts of the institution. And they do have a lot of other touch points with RIAs already within the firm. You look at something like United Capital, which they bought uh, for $750 million, and ACO, which was already there. Plus, they have Marcus, and they have the credit card business in conjunction with Apple, and all of the other lines of business already within Goldman. It seems like they'll kind of use that as the building blocks to connect this and create a seemingly an end-to-end custodian for advisors. So why now? Like, what's really in it for Goldman? Yeah, so I mean, the custody business in itself is not terribly profitable. With Schwab and Fidelity and TD last year going to zero for the most part on custody, it's pretty clear that custodians don't make money from charging per trade or charging basis points and assets for for custody services. So really, the way custodians make money, whether it's Goldman or Schwab or otherwise, is net interest margin. So really, it's the it's a differential between what they pay on cash balances, so the, the nominal interest rate that their clients get on cash versus what they can lend that money out at, whether that's through securities-based lending, it's through mortgages or other lending services. That's really where the money is. I would say, too, with Goldman, because they have such a 
impactful commercial bank and retail bank. They now have an online banking platform. They have a credit card business. They have asset management services. There's definitely a lot of other revenue sources that are already present within Goldman. So what they get is RIAs are really a distribution mechanism to the end client. They started breaking into the, say, the the high net worth space away from their traditional ultra high net worth business with the United Capital acquisition and what Joe Duran and his group have been able to do. And this is further penetration into more of the high net worth or retail market, but really using the underlying clients that RIAs can bring to the table to cross-sell or to deliver additional services that Goldman can then make money on. Interesting. All right. What, what if I flip the script here and ask you about these next two questions, if that's okay with you? Yep. Go for it. Great. How do you think the Goldman Private Wealth Advisors or PWAs will feel about this? Do you think it's positive or it's a negative thing for them? You know, it's an interesting question, and I think it'll depend upon who you ask. So there are Goldman PWAs that will see this as a good thing. Many of them hold restricted stock. That's their sort of their version of golden handcuffs. And they, I spoke to a Goldman PWA the other day that said, anything that can drive the stock price up is a good thing. Goldman apparently just came out with a retire in place program that is meant to compete with what the wirehouses have, the sunset program the wirehouses have in place and be a way of retaining their top talent. It's only for the real top of the food chain advisors. I think it's the top 10% of producers. But those folks in particular who are now more committed to staying put may at least justify the idea of staying because it will inc- this could potentially increase stock price. But my instincts tell me, just based upon having worked with a lot of Goldman advisors, that many of them will not be happy about it. What many of them have complained about for the last number of years is a feeling that Goldman is taking what was a really you know, high-end, ultra-sophisticated platinum brand and moving it downstream. And I think you know, one of the questions that I think you and I will talk about as we move forward is who will the target client be of this? If they become an RIA custodian, I can't imagine it's going to be the, the target clients will all be the $25 million plus client. And if that's the case and they move downstream, does it then somehow tarnish or diminish the brand that these Goldman advisors have prized for so long? Yeah. And I think to add to that as well, I completely agree. Goldman typically has one of the lowest payouts on the street. And in large part, it's because the Goldman business card is typically worth its weight in gold, no pun intended. And a lot of what clients get, if they're a client of Goldman Sachs Private Wealth, is the exclusive services and platforms that really they're paying for. So this also, I think, would open up this this bespoke and typically private platform and make it available to many, many more clients, many of whom have way less in investable assets and are paying far less in fees than the typical $10 million plus private wealth client of Goldman Sachs. Yeah, I think that's right. And the obvious question on the minds of probably every Goldman PWA, if they hear this podcast or if they read stories about Goldman breaking into the custody business is whether this will be a legitimate way for a current Goldman advisor to become an RIA. Well, you know, that is the $64 million question and who knows, but here's what I do know. 
it's hard for me to imagine a scenario where Goldman just opens up the floodgates and, and allows all of these top advisors to go be independent, to access them as a custodian as opposed to as an employee. The truth of the matter is, you know, in models, you look at Wells Fargo or Raymond James, for example, that both offer multi-choice or multi-option access to their platform. They don't just open the floodgates and say, come on over. There's a tariff that advisors have to pay, a significant tariff in order to move from one to the other. And there are some pretty strong barriers to entry. I think, you know, the other thing is that Goldman advisors, if you talk with them, they, they, many of them running, you know, multi-billion dollar books generating tens of millions of dollars a year in annual revenue. And their first interest in a perfect world would be to go out and be independent and form a multifamily office as an RIA. But in the end, the practicality of that is very unlikely and very low probability. Why? Because Goldman has a very strict garden leave when advisors leave. They have a very strict non-solicit. And unless you're in California, which is a strict right-to-work state, it's very difficult to do. So it becomes low probability. So there's no question that it'll be the first question Goldman advisors will ask. It's just hard to imagine a scenario where Goldman will want to cannibalize their existing business and allow advisors to come on over. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And with you mentioned earlier, but Goldman advisors have significant, really unvested deferred compensation or restricted stock units that they've amassed. So perhaps one of the ways they try to keep the PWAs in their current more profitable seat is by having these advisors completely forego their RSUs if they transfer over. Because I, I agree with you, the margins on a custody business, even if you are able to generate revenue from other services, is a fraction of what you get from, I mean, the Goldman world keeping probably 65 cents in the dollar as far as advisor payout um, and still collecting the same revenue from lending and from asset management and from other services. Yeah. So how about on the other side of the table? Do you think that this will be or could be a legitimate way for a prospective breakaway to associate with a Goldman name? Absolutely. That is, if there are, I would say, two or three barriers that wirehouse advisors in particular have about going independent, the largest one is typically brand. So you go from having the Morgan Stanley or the Merrill Lynch or the UBS business card that's very powerful with clients and with for prospecting. Everyone knows who they are, their household names. And then the question is, if I go out and form my own business, are my clients really going to believe in the brand that I create? The truth of the matter is the brand, if you will, when people go RIA is Charles Schwab or Fidelity, BNY Mellon Pershing, or in some cases, Raymond James or LPL, which are pretty powerful brands in and of themselves, but it's not Goldman Sachs. Those are incredible brands that have picked up tremendous market share, but Goldman, especially with advisors, is synonymous with the ultra-wealthy and it's really the gold standard. So I think that is a major, major deal that advisors could seemingly leverage the Goldman brand and reputation, but still own their business. You still have the other potential barriers for advisors going independent. And just because Goldman is now a custodian, it doesn't mean that every advisor now is going to join them and that all of a sudden models like Rockefeller and First Republic are no longer valid. And even that Goldman's going to pick up every single opportunity 
because there's a lot more to choosing a custodian. It's the technology and what the custodian's providing, but also how it integrates with other third parties. There's how much support they're going to provide and building the business. And at the end of the day, if someone wants to be an RIA or enter the independent space, they're still making a major economic sacrifice in the short term by choosing to either self-finance a move to independence or really just the opportunity cost of not getting a major check from another firm. So they still face some other barriers or obstacles to really opening the floodgates. But I would think for advisors and teams that are kind of on the fence about whether independence makes sense or ones that are just fearful of the brand name situation, this can really be an accelerant for those groups to look at the RA channel, either for the first time or to finally pull the trigger after a lot of consideration. I think there's two glaring potential limitations that I would think about. And one is the fact that, like it or not, Goldman may have a more cached name, if you will, but Schwab and Fidelity and Pershing have been in the custody game for years with trillions of dollars in assets and know how to do it. How will Goldman compete with that? You know, will it be a fully baked model and can they compete and offer the same set of services and support that the more institutional custodians or the, the longer tenured custodians can? And then the other potential roadblock, as I see it, is that the definition of being an RIA is true open architecture, is that the independent advisor gets to shop the street for every aspect of the business, from the technology he uses to the alternative investments they source to product, platform, lending capabilities, trust capabilities, insurance, all of it. And will do you think that they would be able to do that in the Goldman model? So I guess, what are your thoughts about those two potential barriers? So they, yeah, I would agree. They definitely are barriers because, I mean, the people who have been running Schwab and Fidelity and Pershing before that TD for so many years, they're brilliant people. And they've spent hundreds of millions of dollars on technology development, on building out massive support teams, and they're people that have grown up in the RIA channel. So just because you, you slap the golden name on a custodian, it doesn't mean that it's going to be right off the bat as competitive with those groups on technology, on service, on ancillary support. The act of being a custodian, so safe asset custody, is completely commoditized. Most firms can do it. Banks can do it. The major difference now with custody is how's the technology integrations and what are the other ancillary support services that an advisor is going to get? Or how is the custodian going to help me grow my business? And I would say there's a lot to be proved that Goldman will be able to do that. Even if they have all the intentions in the world, it still takes time to develop those capabilities. It's not a overnight thing. And a lot of the knowledge and skill set that have been gained by the other major custodians have been, it's, it happens over years. Just because you have a, a large pocketbook to spend on development and on hiring, it still takes a lot of institutional knowledge to really build up what it takes to be a leading custodian. On the other point of what it means to be an RIA, which is that everything's unbundled, that you're not beholden to one platform or proprietary products. I would actually be very surprised if there was a mandate in this model that advisors had to do their lending business. They had to do their asset management through Goldman. I think it's more just, it's, it's probably easier if you're on the custody platform to 
leverage the services that are already there. And it's going to be more familiar to what wirehouse advisors are used to, which is having everything under one roof. But if anything in this reeks of proprietary or restrictive or mandated, there's no way they'll pick up the market share that they're trying to get. And do you think that this, um, if Goldman pulls this off, what do you think will be on the minds of senior management at the likes of Morgan and UBS and Merrill with respect to the RIA space? Yeah, that's a fascinating question. To me, this is, it's a live case study for them on what it would mean for a blue chip institution that has a decades old private wealth management business to enter into the RIA custody world and to see what happens. Are the is the private wealth business that's more profitable, as we mentioned, going to be cannibalized? Is this business able to be as profitable? Because it's definitely a scale business. What's going to be the tech spend to get it up and running? Um, I mean, E-Trade was bought by Morgan Stanley a couple months ago. E-Trade, before Morgan bought it, was one of the top five largest custodians. So Morgan, through that acquisition, had capabilities to become an RIA custodian, but they've said publicly that that's not really what they're going to focus on. There's always rumors or questions about whether UBS would, would throw their hat into the ring for custody. We don't really hear the same about Merrill, but it's definitely a question. There's no doubt that if Goldman comes in, is a disruptor, and picks up some meaningful market share, that if you're one of these other major firms, you have to at least look seriously at what it might mean for your business. And now they can kind of sit back and watch and see Goldman throw their money at it and their time and their capacity and basically just watch to see how how it works and whether the playbook makes sense. Yeah, you know, it's an interesting point. So looking at Morgan Stanley, for example, they bought E-Trade. And the first thing that went through everybody's mind is, are they getting into the RA custody business? But Morgan, James Gorman, Morgan's CEO, has said um, publicly many times that the reason for buying E-Trade was all about the downstream wealth opportunities that could be created as a result of the um, retirement plan and stock plan business that E-Trade is masterful at and the downstream wealth opportunities that that will afford wealth management. So for right now, at least, it doesn't appear that their goal is to get into the RIA space. But the reality is that all of those firms are losing big advisors every day, meaningful teams, big advisors to the independent space or to the Rockefellers or First Republics every day. And at some point, don't they have to begin thinking about how to compete? Yeah, I mean, you would think so. But if you're looking, if you're a decision maker for these firms and you're evaluating the business from the 50,000 foot level, from from the executive suite, at the end of the day, while on the ground, so to people like us and to advisors, we're watching the most well-regarded, largest teams in the industry leave in many cases, I still think to these major firms, it's it's probably still a rounding error. While, of course, they would love to keep all of their advisors, and it stings when a billion-dollar team walks out the door, not to mention the future knock-on effects it might have um, of others following them. It's kind of a wake-up call. I think it's still, they look at the RA channel as it's just another place where advisors go. And while they'll lose some teams, and they'll continue to lose teams to the competition, is it really worth the development of building a new custodian? And I think the bigger risk is just the cannibalization, is do we take our 16,000, 8,000 
14,000 advisor platforms um, where we have a ton of real estate and branch managers and expensive infrastructure? And do we all of a sudden open up the floodgates and make that line of business significantly less profitable? Yeah. And that is actually the exact tact or narrative that senior leadership at the major firms have always held on to. And I think it'll be interesting to see what they do, especially if Goldman gets this right. And then we mentioned it a little earlier, but do you think that Goldman's target market will be breakaways or existing RIAs? Or if they're going to go after existing RIAs, will they look to poach from Schwab, Fidelity, and Pershing? Yeah. So normally net new assets, which is the metric that custodians live and die by, is from new custody sales. So meaning someone or someone's transitioning from a wirehouse and setting up a business for the first time or a business transferring from an independent broker dealer and looking to move off of a proprietary custody platform or from a um, from, from more of a clearing arrangement and into the RIA space. The RIA custodians do still capture a decent amount of net new assets from existing RIAs, but I think it's a it's a harder and a longer sale because in order for an existing firm to change custodians, they have to repaper the business. So there has to be some very, very significant pain to go through the pain and hassle of doing that. So I wouldn't be surprised if Goldman can make a heck of a business out of becoming a secondary or tertiary custodian for existing RIAs who will keep their primary custodian where it's always been, which is probably Schwab, Fidelity, Pershing, or TD Ameritrade, but that for new assets or for certain clients, they might look at Goldman. But I think the short answer to your question is if they really want to grow this thing quickly, and also just where I think this value proposition will resonate most, they're absolutely going to focus more on the the breakaway space because that's Mm -hmm. how you get the biggest slug of assets in the quickest period of time. And we know there's so much momentum still toward the independent space that it would be hard to ignore that market. I bet that part of the strategy, though, too, will be to target family offices and other firms that maybe are looking for a different type of custodian. So it's probably all of the above, but I would think a large part of the growth strategy will be focusing on breakaways. thank you for all of this. You know, you and I are never about promoting rumors ever. And we acknowledge that there are more questions than answers and that a lot of this is just conjecture. But it does speak to A, what we know about an industry that has been in transition for a long time. It does speak to the changing advisor mindset that we talk about a lot. It does emphasize the validity and um, mainstream nature of the independent space. And so we will continue to watch this closely and continue to sort of share the information with you as it becomes more tangible, if you will. But And we promise to come back to it over time as we get more information. So until next time, I thank you for listening. And I encourage you to visit our website, diamond-consultants.com, and click on the tools and resources link for valuable content. You'll also find a link there to subscribe for regular updates to the series. And if you're not a recipient of our weekly email, Perspectives for Advisors, click on the blog link to browse recent articles. 
These written pieces are an ideal way to stay informed about what's going on in the wealth management space without expending the energy that full-on exploration requires. Feel free to email me or call me if you have any specific questions, and Lewis as well. I can be reached in the office at 908-879-1002 or by cell at 973-476-8578 or by email at mdiamond at diamond-consultants.com. Please note that all requests are handled with complete discretion and confidentiality. And again, if you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share it with a colleague who might benefit from its content. And a special thanks to AdvisorHub.com for sharing this podcast with their viewers and subscribers. This is Mindy Diamond on Independence.